well off the rematch that looked an awful lot like the first fight. Not completely like the first fight, but again, it's an Alexander Usyk victory in the unified heavyweight title rematch with Anthony Joshua. We are here to talk about that, recap, and look ahead. It is TopHeavyweights.com, the podcast. I am the somewhat lucid, somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is Sean of TopHeavyweights.com, back in here to mix it up once again with me. How you feeling off of that Usyk win in Saudi Arabia that now sets him up, obviously, big time as the undisputed uh, title contender with Tyson Fury, and it sets really into a, a time of uncertainty for Anthony Joshua on what happens, on what happens next. Uh, how are you coming off that fight? Are we ready to mix it up, talk about what happened, and look ahead to the future? Let's do it. It was a little deja vu uh, in the sense that Joshua seemed to essentially be caught in the same trap he was caught in the first time. And I don't want to put it all into a simplistic way, but I was a little disappointed. Um, Joshua showed that he could compete in a tactical pressure match with Usyk, but lose. Um, and that's fine. And he did it the first time. Um, but I think that the key to this fight for him, as we discussed, and it's not easy. And I, and I just want to say for Joshua, he's, He's top four, he's top three, he's top five, who knows, but he's there. And uh, someone made reference to the 70s and Muhammad Ali and how great and popular he was. And it was noted that for him to have been that popular, he needed a cast of characters in the 70s mm -hmm. that were also highly competitive, could threaten the title, and did later threaten the title, even though they took defeats. Um, so all I'm saying is that for the top heavyweights that are in that top 10, top whatever... A loss is okay. Uh, it doesn't mean the end of a career. And yes, there are plenty of examples of heavyweights who have taken defeats and have come back and won the title in a surprise fashion. So the heavyweight division is, it encompasses that high risk. Who knows what could happen next? So for Joshua, I think his, his thinking is, I've lost a boxing match. I lost them in the amateurs. I lost a match. Um, I think he rejected the belts in a sense, and we could talk about that. But he wants to get back to becoming a better boxer, a more fluid fighter. And perhaps what he has to do now is establish himself as a top heavyweight contender for the next few years where he gets his act to another level and he takes another shot at the title. And, and that, that would that could happen. That could happen. And obviously, Usyk is a big player in the figurative and literal sense now. Uh, with all-time stuff, with, with a chance to be undisputed. Our Dan Rayfield in the in the recap mode says, uh, already this has locked up his Hall of Fame status by winning this fight. So we're going to talk more about that. And again, we'll look ahead, including later this week as we release the podcast, we have Jared Real Big Baby Anderson back in action, American heavyweight, unbeaten contender. And on the same card, another unbeaten big heavyweight at F.A. Ajagba on the same card, both in Tulsa, He's Oklahoma. Uh, he's got one defeat there, TJ. He took one from uh, Frank Sanchez. Just wanted to make sure, didn't want Frank to lose the credit there. This is why I have you here. Yeah. This is why I have you here. So F.A. Ajagba, yeah. another contender, oh, yeah. if not unbeaten. Yeah. And they're both on the same card in separate yeah. fights. ESPN top-ranked show in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we're interested in seeing them. And, of course, we've got other big heavyweight fights that are coming in the coming it weeks here a lot to uh, a lot to get to so a reminder however you found us through sean's site topheavyweights.com whether you found us through a social media link make sure you're following or subscribing on this podcast feed the big fight weekend podcast feed because i pledge to you we will frequently be here with a topheavyweights.com podcast 
Um, Sean is uh, has not thrown me out with the uh, the rubbish. Is it rubbish in Canada? Is it trash? Uh, he has not thrown me neither out applies with the gar- TJ. or in the south the garbage the garbage uh, here in the or the garbage. In the I thought south. you call it I thought you call it trash trash. Uh, so he has not cleaned. Uh, he has not fumigated. He has not gotten rid of me as of yet. So we'll be here somewhat frequently. You don't have to worry about whether or not you know that we're back with a new episode if you're following or subscribing. That is the point. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, make sure that you're following or subscribing. Uh, Leave us a rating or a review if you get that opportunity. Tell them how smart and how great Sean is and that I somewhat know some things uh, on this. Do that. Take care of that. um, And we will be grateful for it. So again, a lot here on the plate. Is Usyk, several days after the win in Saudi Arabia, getting enough credit for what he was able to do again under the circumstances in which he did it? We cannot oversell and overemphasize with what has been going on in Ukraine, horrifically, the Russian invasion, et cetera. This, to me, this makes it even a better story, an even bigger story. Sean, your thoughts. Let's give Usyk some props. Okay. First of all, Usyk's Usyk gets all the props. He is the unified heavyweight champion, and he's clear in his mind that the real victory is to win the undisputed heavyweight championship. Let's go back in history a bit. Joe Lewis didn't feel right. Even though he had won the title from Braddock, he didn't feel until he beat Schmeling in the rematch that he was the champion. And once he won the championship, he became a living legend. And then he proceeded to do what normal heavyweight champions do, which is to win the title and then proceed to defend it for a few years and give us all the entertainment and the glory. And that's what it's all about. So Usyk has decided to use the cruiserweight division to build himself up. He kept himself at 200. He knew with his skills he could become undisputed. And with undisputed, he would be guaranteed a shot at the championship. He got it. He won it. He's defended it once. And now... He wants to move to the real Joe Lewis level, which is to become undisputed. So yes, he's getting the props he deserves. I think the fact that he's able to leave his domestic issues behind him for the sake of of competing and all his countrymen were, were behind him, were pushing him forward to defend the title. It's pretty important stuff. And that just, um, and he recognizes that. And I think for him, it's, well, it's all doors are open. I mean, if he wants no doubt. There's no doubt. And he, I think he's, his people, K2, are probably talking to uh, Frank Warren and they're talking to top rank. And um, that's what we know right now. Back to the fight itself. We right. talked in the preview mode a week ago, and I talked about this a bunch, obviously, with Dan Rayfield on our big fight weekend preview. I was surprised that Anthony Joshua did not do a better job in the rematch of cutting the ring off. He did score more to the body, it seemed like to me, in watching the fight. And by the way, I'm going to say the same thing to you that I said on the recap podcast off the weekend. You have to take what I'm saying, and I, and I do this out of honesty. You have to take what I'm saying from someone that did not see the fight live because of work duties, and Sean is seeing me. I have on a Tampa Bay Buccaneers a shirt because of my work radio duties with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of the NFL radio broadcast. The game that I was working in the preseason was going on at the same time that the fight was uh, basically from the second round on unfolding in Saudi Arabia. So I'm just laying this out again here for our audience on the topheavyweights.com podcast. When I don't get to see it live, I am now tainted, Sean. You, you probably appreciate this too. 
I am now aware of what the result is. I'm aware from having seen on social media that Joshua, for example, had a big ninth round. I now know what to look for. I further know that Usyk responded and basically won the fight in the final three rounds. I know all of those things in advance. I am tainted at that point. It's not the same as everybody watching it live. But from my standpoint, watching it back, Joshua did not do a good enough job, as good a job as I thought, of cutting the ring off, letting his hands go. He was better to the body. So the question to you is, how much do we just credit Usyk, that he is a bad matchup for Joshua? He's a talented boxer who moves laterally, who moves his head, and is just apparently a better tactician and a better fighter than what Joshua has shown us to this point because for 24 rounds, he couldn't catch up to him, couldn't seriously hurt him, couldn't knock him down, couldn't beat him. How much Mm -hmm. do we credit Usyk for doing his part to not let Joshua be better? What would you say? Well, we have to give all the credit to Usyk. I mean, he's he did it against the one of the most imposing heavyweights in the world, and he did it. He did it twice. And uh, for people who say that Usyk can't punch, well, I think that if he couldn't punch, then Joshua would have been able to go forward with complete abandon with little or no concern. The reality is he can punch, and Joshua tasted enough of those straight rights and and lefts and. He tasted them, and and the punch that hurts you the most is the punch you don't see coming. And I think Usyk has the potential to hit you with those. I think he throws enough combinations that he's probably throwing three or four, thinking one of them might snap nice. You never know. Mm-hmm. So um, I think Joshua was intimidated by the potential of getting caught, and um, he wasn't. And Andy Ruiz Jr. was talking about the fight right after, and he said, and I'm paraphrasing. You have to keep the pressure on. You've got to keep the the, the punches flying in terms of, you know, the, the combinations. But also, he said, you got to be able to eat a few and just keep on throwing. That's right. And um, he did that in the Joshua fight, Andy Ruiz, that is. In the first one, Joshua was firing the finishing combinations, and Ruiz had what it took to take him and then to fire inside. And when Joshua threw the that right hand uh, in the same... Um, Knockdown round, third, I believe. Um, Ruiz took a right hand from Joshua and fired back again. And the the right hand that Ruiz took from Joshua, I don't know if Joshua could take that same punch. Hmm. How much do we credit the jab? Sorry, I shouldn't. I take that back. He could take it. I just think one of his problems right now is he doesn't want to. Yeah, maybe. And how much of that do we credit Usyk and an outstanding right jab? Uh, You'll love this. I I love uh, referencing the 80s all the time. He was like Lionel Richie all night long, baby. Once again, with that right jab, first fight and second fight. And how much do we credit that for having Joshua off his game and not be able tactically maybe to do a lot of what he wanted to do? Because all night long. (laughs) Yeah, it feels feels a little bit like, and I'm going to use an example, and I'm not comparing the fighters, but it does feel, and I wasn't even a boxing fan at that time, but I've, you know, looked at it in retrospect both times. The, the two fights between uh, Michael, Larry Holmes and Michael Spinks. Larry Holmes was defending. He was undefeated. He was looking mm-hmm. to, uh, you know. So fought Michael Spinks, Spinks once, lost the decision, and then fought him again. And I know it was a disputed decision the second time, but let's say it wasn't. Let's say Michael Spinks had done enough in the second to win another decision and Larry Holmes. So how much credit would Spinks and Spinks would have been undefeated and he was an awkward kind of fighter. Now, how much credit would he hold at that point? 
Uh, I think that's where we should just temper things a little bit. And that, and he had won the lineal title, not the undisputed, and that's the point. I just think that Usyk has work to do to take on the mantle or the level of a Joe Lewis, uh, to take on the mantle of a Larry Holmes, to take on even Larry Holmes missed the undisputed. I'm just saying Usyk still has, to me, as a heavyweight boxing fan going way back, not being you know lost mm-hmm. in the the current hype. I just think Usyk has to now become undisputed. And then he's got to defend that title three or four times against some of the top guys that are coming up and let's rock and roll. You know, meanwhile, there's other great top heavyweight fights happening. Who knows? I just think he's just entering the Joe Lewis championship zone. You got, you keep invoking Joe Lewis. You got Joe Lewis yeah. on the brain today. And I, like I was thinking, I, yeah, Joe Lewis to me, because the question I was asking myself before we came on, I was thinking, you know, maybe I'm a bit of a downer in the sense that I take hypes and I bring them down a little, but only to build them back up. Mm -hmm. Um, I just wonder when I think about a prime Joe Lewis and the way he tactically attacked, kept the, the cutting off the ring. And that's another thing, cutting off the ring. I think cutting off the ring is an art, which a lot of heavyweights, if you look back at how it was done by the best, Joe Lewis would cut off the ring. He'd say, he would say you can run, but you can't hide. And, um, and by the way, Marciano, who followed him, was right. a master at it. And he got the better even of Joe Lewis and aging Joe Lewis by doing it. But he was a master at, I'm going to cut you off and I'm going to trade with you. And to your and you're earlier, going to be, yeah. you're going to maybe land two or three, but I'm going to land one or two. And I believe my one or two is going to be more impactful than your two or three. Yeah. And my engine just won't quit. And I can go faster and faster and faster. So Usyk now has put the current Anthony Joshua into the you know into the beaten category and that's the current anthony joshua doesn't mean there isn't a different anthony joshua coming up i don't know but anyways as far as Usyk, he's got huge credit he's i mean it's how much credit can you give someone who's just become the unified champion a heavyweight champion of the world and now they've defended that title how much credit under the circumstances he did it under too oh and that's and that's another thing as well to it right right that adds more so i think Let's move forward. I mean, as far as the fight itself, I have to say from an entertainment, watching it live, and I'm glad you brought up the point mm-hmm. that you you know, had other professional duties and you had to watch it after the fact, but watching it live, uh, really the tense, the tension, I was, I have to be honest, in the last three, four rounds, because I, 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 want, I really became a Joshua fan in a sense, not the, a fan more than any other heavyweight, but I became a bit of a fan when he came back against Vladimir Klitschko and it looked like he was going out and he started coming back and I became a real fan as that happened live. Mm-hmm. Uh, watching this fight, I really felt the tension. Round nine, I think it's a little, it's, it was big and Joshua landed some great body shots in there and he was attacking in a certain way, it seemed, that it was pressuring Usyk enough live, to maybe break Live, if I can interrupt, live, live yeah. did it uh surprise you if not shock you that he could not follow up on round nine and Usyk was clearly better in round 10 and scoring better in round 10 how surprised were you at that watching live well it was sort of what I expected to happen in the sense well if Usyk is and he is what he is he turned on the danger machine in round 10 where he realized he had to mix more of an attack into his play to keep Joshua at bay and uh, he did. And then uh, Joshua, unfortunately, it was that when uh, when Usyk became more willing to trade, because I just found watching the fight that when Joshua got nailed and he did get nailed. His entire attack plan was repositioned and reassessed. So 
it was those gaps, I think, that could have been the opportunities. But And Usyk was clearly the better fighter in the 11th round and the yep. 12th round. And as we discussed with the cards, that won him the fight because on yep. two of the cards, he won all three, 10th, 11th, and 12th. And on the other card, he won two of the three. He didn't win the 12th. He won the 10th and the 11th. But that's the ultimate final margin of victory. It's, it's interesting that one of the cards had Joshua, what, um, three three points in front or two points in front going into the final couple of rounds. Yeah. And it got flipped because of what Usyk yeah. did at the very end for the split decision uh, victory at the end of this. So, all right, let's get to the aftermath, Sean, of topheavyweights.com. Mm -hmm. Again, I did not see this live. I have seen it right. since. I know that on certain broadcasts that the DAZN broadcast had a little bit different, I think, than what Sky Sports maybe had, the, the mm -hmm. international feeds, et cetera. But you were watching some of this unfold. How would you describe what we saw out of Joshua's behavior leaving the ring, mm -hmm. uh, upset, and then coming back in the ring and going on the mic and doing the hip-hip parade yeah. stuff all around the ring? How would you describe what you witnessed? I, I just think it was, a, it was for him a – tremendously tough moment and people get in tough moments and he's on the the ultimate world stage where he's being watched and listened to by everyone and um and i think uh, he was really disappointed and he was uh and he reacted badly and that can come out in all kinds of ways i'm not going to break down the things he said or the things he did but i um i think we've all had our moments and he had his and i don't mean to just you know I just, I feel for the guy because he's competing at the highest level. But then again, he's made almost $50 million or who knows what he made off that. It was mm -hmm. a tremendous amount. I just think he's a, he's a high level, high caliber competitor. Was it and, insulting uh, yeah. to Usyk? Because it's Usyk's I, moment, Usyk's the yeah. champion. And it all, it all became about Anthony Joshua's behavior I know, I afterwards. Know. What do you say? I mean, there's no doubt it was not the prettiest thing to see. Um, and I feel for Usyk in the sense that a lot of the buzz and the, the moment was taken away. But again, I have to say Usyk is on the trajectory of heading to the next level. He's heading there. You know, he, uh, Anthony Joshua had to metamorphosize, if you will, or something like that into a, a top level contender. And um, I think to go from, because he still, even though he was coming back to challenge for the unified title, there was the feeling around him and his fan base that this is the true unified champion. He's just setting it right against the guy who he lost to last time, just like he did with Ruiz. So right, good point. He came, he, he came in with that that aura, if you will. And, and he tried. Um, he and tried. he, tried and he, he did was great. throwing I mean, shots. Yeah. But again, Dan Raphael's line is from the Rocky Two movie. I'll share it with you if you haven't heard him say no, it. No. That there's a scene in the Rocky Two movie where Tony Burton, the actor who's playing Duke, the ball headed trainer with, with uh, Apollo Creed, who eventually becomes Rocky's trainer after Apollo yep. dies in the series of movies. But yep. Duke is saying to Apollo Creed, when Apollo Creed is going on and on about Rocky Balboa in the second movie, yep. he says, Baby, this guy's all wrong for us. We don't need yeah. this man in our lives. That's something to yeah. that effect. And so Dan's point is, it's the same thing with Usyk and Joshua. He's all wrong for us because of the southpaw stance, the good right jab, the head movement, the lateral movement. He's all wrong for us. We don't need this man in our lives. As much as you wanted to beat him, if you fight him again, if he was to fight him again a year from now, it's probably the same result. You can't say with 100% certainty because maybe the big punch happens but it's probably the same result. So 
We've seen that movie. Probably, yeah. We've now seen it twice. And as and let me just say this on the aftermath, because I've now I've now watched it. Um, you are absolutely right that we should be concerned about the mental health and well-being of everybody involved. But that looked a lot like pouting. That looked a lot like I can't accept the fact that I've lost to this guy again. And I now realize I'm off the big stage for a while. He's not going to get a title shot, Joshua, for a year, year and a half, mm. whatever. And, it and, is. He, and, and why would he want one? Well, I right. Mean, but I, I, I think yeah. all of that's hitting him at that point, And a lot of that yeah. was pouting. And I, I believe it does take away from the moment. It should have been the glorious moment for Usyk overcoming what he had to overcome away from the ring to get in there and win the rematch against a guy highly motivated to beat him the second time around. It should yeah. have been more about that. And look, one more bigger point. You don't know this because we haven't been talking to each other that long. I have long believed, and David Payne made reference to this last week, our buddy in England, the boxing writer. And by the way, he's got a great piece up on his site, boxingwriter.co.uk. Again, uh, the boxing writer uh, writing about Anthony Joshua. He's written a bunch about Anthony Joshua over the last decade. He's got something up about Joshua, his future, his mindset. David was with us last week. Go read his piece. David will be the first one to tell you if he was back with us here again, that I, I'm a guy knocking Joshua three years ago. I was knocking Joshua five years ago on this podcast and the stuff that I was doing because, and I'll even use the word, I believe it was cowardice that he did not want to fight Deontay Wilder because he believed he had a great chance to get knocked out by Deontay Wilder. And regardless of what he and Eddie Hearn would ever say at the time or since, they made numerous fights with all kinds of other people in and around while staying away from Deontay Wilder. So at this point, I believe even more so sitting here in late August of 2022, that if he had ever been in there, Sean, I want your take with that lethal right hand of Wilder 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, when they should have been fighting yep. Wilder would have hit him with that atomic bomb right hand and would have more than likely starched him with that right hand. And I think they knew that again, he's all wrong for us, baby. We don't need this man in our lives. They were staying away for as long as they could, but that should be part of this uh, as well. That if you kind of, what you were saying earlier, if you're not willing yeah. to fight the best to be the best, there's my thought yeah. on that. And there's some belief, and maybe you believe this, that Wilder yeah. and Joshua may fight now may fight in the next year or so that that, that I, may be on. What is your thought on that? Hey, did Ron Lyle fight George Foreman? I think yes. they did. Yes. And I don't think there was a major title on the line. I don't Correct. think so. And it was big. Timeless. Correct. So, no, um, I'm not going to, uh, when it comes to Wilder Joshua, I'm going to take the 50-50. I'm going to say that both fighters recognized each other as a tremendous danger at the time to end their undefeated. Money-making, relatively easy defenses in terms of what they would represent against each other. The money didn't come together, but I also think promote. we know promotional uh, uh, outfits like to have their money-making machines. I mean, if you were promoting exactly a top right. heavyweight and I was promoting a top heavyweight and we're both making money and maybe both of our guys have titles and they're making money on different networks and now they want us to basically gamble away a good thing. Now, of course, then it comes down to, well, you're gambling it away because you're getting an enormous sum of money. Right. Which makes the gamble well worth it because you're and winning. By, and by the way, throughout the history of the sport, you know this. Yeah. The fighters that get the greatest accolades, the biggest status, Hall of Fame status, all-time great status, are the guys that are willing to take the risk and go fight the other great fighters. And the great that's why Joe, that is, 
And that's why on a big stage or on the smaller stage, that's why Joe Joyce is right now in the picture. Joe Joyce is in the picture because he took short money against an opponent who was set to beat him in Daniel Dubois. And he upset the apple cart. When you upset the apple cart, you're moving into serious credibility with fans, credibility with networks. Andy Ruiz Jr. that he's he pulled it off too, you know. So I think the story of this of this great era that we're in in heavyweight boxing, it's a great era. We're gonna people are gonna look back on this era and they're gonna go, that was a really good time. Like the 90s, if you look at heavyweight boxing in the 90s, at the time the media and everyone were very negative about how things were. What a mess, what a mess, what a mess. But people look back now at the 90s and they go, they think of that as one of the golden ages of heavyweight boxing. Because so, you had Riddick Bow and Evander Holyfield at the beginning. You had Lennox Lewis in the mix. Uh, eventually, Mike Tyson comes out of prison after right? three years, recapturing titles. George, Holyfield George, now back in the mix. George Foreman had been in the mix won, in the early part of the 90s and, and wins and the he title. Ended up, and he won the title, Michael Moore. I yes. mean, there was a there was subcast of characters, Franz Botha. There was Axel Schultz. And there was... Uh, it was just, you know, Oliver McCall and um, Lewis you know, fights Larry. Holyfield and Lewis yeah. fights Tyson at the end, right at the, the 2000. So Andrew Galata, you know, I mean, the, the whole thing was just sure. really fun. And I think we're in an era right now where all the ingredients are there. The cast of characters are there to have a really, really good time. All right. So one more follow up point. How soon do you think we see Anthony Joshua again? A school of thought would be having back in the ring November, December against yep. somebody to get some credibility back, to get some confidence back, to get some momentum back. I don't know that I believe that for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is the man has made close to $200 million in purse prize money over the course of the last four or five years. So you get very comfortable with that. It's not as if he has to be back in the ring financially. What's your take on how soon we would see him back? What's your thought? Let me just challenge and and debate or react to the point you made about the money. Mm -hmm. I think it's important if Anthony Joshua's reaction showed us anything after the fight with Usyk, that it's not about the money to them. If you look at Deontay Wilder and what he's going to put himself through and what he wants to do, he's got the money, he's got the statue, he's got every toy he wants. He's got a career that stands above almost anything. But these guys are in a different universe. You can have the perfect bedroom, the perfect house, the perfect backyard, the perfect, all the whatever cars. you want, Hummer, everything. It's nothing to do with it. It's once it's there, once you have it, what originally brought you there and what you're fighting for and what you want to be. When you look at Joe Lewis, when you look at the past and you look at the history of the heavyweight division and these guys, as they get close to the top, they become schooled in the history of heavyweight boxing and the championship. And when they realize the legacy that they're up against and what they're going to be compared to, who cares about the mansion and the car and the whatever? I got you. I understand. Yeah. That's, and I think that's. Yeah, that's. I think that's I mean, valid. It's something because, that ninety nine percent of humanity can't relate to. We can't but relate. You just, but you just wonder if it makes him comfortable enough. Because, for example, when Mike Tyson lost to Buster Douglas, you love mm-hmm. my Mister uh, Nostalgia hat that I put on. So sure. when we go back to Tyson losing to Douglas in February of nineteen ninety, do you realize? Do you remember off the top of your head? He was right back in the ring in June, fighting mm-hmm. the guy that had beat him in the amateurs, Henry Tillman. 
yeah, in a, a non-title fight because they wanted to get him back out fighting again. Yeah, and get it, and and part of that again was the big money would be involved in fighting for the heavyweight title again. So he couldn't get the rematch immediately with Buster Douglas, but he was right back in there with another contender within four months. Yeah, again, I again ask, do you think Joshua was fighting in December or January? Do we have to wait longer to see him again? Because I think if, if he truly, the competitive fire burns in him to get the title back, he can't wait around till next March or April to fight a contender but or not, somebody else again. What is your thought? I don't think he's waiting to get the title back. I think in a way when he, we have to go back to what happened after the fight, but I have to believe in some of the symbology that exists in his true mind. Uh, when he took those belts and dropped them over the ropes, um, I think what he was saying in a sense, and I'm, I can't paraphrase a, an action, but I'm going to work now on becoming a better, more effective boxer. The metaphor was the belts don't mean as much anymore. Right. I it, didn't win the belts. I don't have the belts. Yeah, and I, I just, I, and I just want to say one of the reasons you get your heavyweight back in the ring the way they did with Tyson, as you made reference to, and I hope Joshua is it's also the athletic requirements and the, 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 to become great at a sport like heavyweight boxing or boxing, you got to fight three, four times a year. Amen. Those, those fights are what makes you better. If, if, if you're fighting often and you're winning and you're not taking too much damage and you're doing things right and you're developing correctly, the more you fight professionally and no sparring doesn't replace that. The more you fight professionally, the better you get. And let, and, me share, and let me share this point too. Deontay Wilder's waited a year. October will be a year right, since he right. fought Tyson Fury. Yeah. And if he's going to fight Robert Hellenius and beat him, but then not fight again for another six months trying to wait out, am I going to get an undisputed shot? No, again, I don't. To, blah, well, blah, blah. Then what are we doing here when he's 37 years old? I, I agree with well, you. Again, and you know, uh, you know, I think it's great. We've got the sort of the two parallels of thought here. You know, I happen to believe in the power of the lion, the power of the, the, the person. And by that, I mean, you know, if a heavyweight is 43 or 37 or 33 or 36 or 39, if they're in top shape and they're at the top of their game and they're pushing it to the max, like they never pushed it before, uh, you're dealing with a, a creature that can do anything. Right. And but they don't do it as Robert, well once Robert, they're 37 or once they're 39 well, or once they're 41. We know that. Well, we do know that. But Robert Hellenius, again, you know, we have to look at him and say, I would put money on it. The Robert Hellenius that fought Adam Kovnaki the second time would have beaten the Robert Hellenius from 10 years ago. I have no doubt. Okay. So he's, and he's improved in that regard. All right. So call it an did Indian. I, did summer. I ever get, I tried twice. I'm going to try one more time. Is Joshua yeah. back in December? Is Joshua back in January? Well, again, when with all that, with all that said, I, it really depends on the next 10 days in a weird way. Joshua has to sort of, if he's just going to say, look guys, I went, you know, went over the edge. It was a big deal. I'm going to put my gym bag on. I'm going into the gym or maybe he has to take two weeks to just, uh, you know, just let all the bumps heal. I'm sure there's a come down period after a big fight uh, that they go through. Um, if he may, he may say, uh, look, I want to, you call it a gimme opponent if you like. Right. That's fine. Um, if I have to fight on an undercard, it won't be that. Oh, um, he, wouldn't, he no. wouldn't have to do that. He could go fight yeah. anywhere in yeah. England against yeah. a contender. And it's going to be a main sure. event on the zone. Yeah. I just wonder 
Yeah. How long you're going to make us wait is all I'm saying. I'm not well, saying I you, Sean. He, I'm saying if, Anthony yeah. Joshua. How long well, are you going to make us wait? I, unfortunately, I've seen enough waiting and heavy. If you're a heavyweight boxing fan, waiting is a is a constant. Um, I just think we're probably look if he's going if he is committed to coming back. The cynic in me says March or April, something like that. And I'm on the front end too long. That's way too long. Yeah. Get back in there way well yeah, before Yeah, I agree. You've if I to... was, if I controlled the universe, there'd be different things happening, but I don't. And I, but I, you're right. If I, if I was giving Joshua, he's like, all right, let's get back to it. I would say in November, December, and let's get back to it. And then let's have our next opponent, assuming things go smoothly, set in for February. And then right. let's have an opponent set for, for, for April. And then let's come back in June. And then we're going to fight again in August. And guess what? We're not even going to be talking about title fights while we do that. All right. We'll wait and see what they come up with there. Here's what we do know as we percolate along on the topheavyweights.com podcast. Uh, we do have a couple of heavyweights that will be in the ring on the ESPN top rank show. The headlining uh, fight is Jose the Sniper Pedraza, Richard Comey, lightweights. Actually, they're going to be junior welterweights for this one, 140 pounds. Right. But immediately following that, we have heavyweights galore on this. Uh, the co-feature fight is Jared Real Big, uh, Big Baby Anderson uh, out of Ohio, unbeaten. He's coming off of an injury, coming off of a wrist injury. I'm going to try the name of the opponent, and Sean will probably correct me, Miljan Rovkana. Rovkana, uh, a little known, uh, obviously in there to be an opponent against uh, the Big Baby who's talented, Real Big Baby. Uh, good left hand. We just haven't seen him in 2022 yet. A quick thought, Mr. Top Heavyweights. Let's hope that uh, he's healed and that, uh, you know, in terms of his injury, there's, everything's fine. He's, he's, I mean, he's, he looks like a future top 10 contender. He looks like a guy who's going to challenge for the title. He looks like he's going to be that guy. He's got the toughness. He's got the punching power. He's putting together his combinations. Uh, he's got aggression. Um, he still has to hone it. He's not yet in the top 30 or you know, top he's up, he's, he's breaking down the door, but they're, they're, they're developing him. And this is another, I think this is kind of a showcase fight. Um, he should walk through this opponent, um, but maybe coming back from an injury, it's the right thing to do. And a Jagba um, yeah. is on the undercard of this fighting Joseph Darmos. If I say that name, right. Are yeah. they potentially play amateur matchmaker here with me? Are they potentially looking at a Jagba and real big baby Anderson, future fight here coming what do you think uh, yeah i i think a jagba with his loss to frank Ch sanchez again he's got a gimme opponent as well so they are giving them both gimmies maybe for different reasons um i think a jagba yeah his next step up is going to be a fight much like the one joe joyce used to step up in the sense that a jagba is going to have to be the high level opponent and uh i could see jared anderson being that a side because it's an in-house deal. And if they're mm -hmm. going to springboard um, Jared Anderson into the, you know, the next level, it's great to do it with one of their own. And I don't mean to be cynical because FA Jagba is a heck of a fighter and he's, a, he's got a, he's got some serious power. And uh, well, and look, he would... left premier boxing champions because he wasn't getting good enough fights. Couldn't get anywhere near Wilder, et cetera. And has been with top rank now for the better part of a year, maybe two pa pandemic crazy yeah. 2020 year. Yeah. So if you're a Jagba, you want a bigger fight. That was what you signed on to top rank was to try to get a bigger fight, right? Well, so I mean, they want bigger fights, but they also want to make money and they want to keep the train rolling. And 
as we made reference to earlier on, they want to put in the time and the development because the preparation for all these fights, the fights themselves do make you a better heavyweight. Uh, you know, Joe Joyce right now is what is he? Is he 14 and 0? I'm not sure the exact number well, he's offhand. 16 and 0, but that's yeah, 16 and 0. Right. right. But to me, a guy 16 and 0 challenging for the title is underdone. You should hasn't, be challenging hasn't for the proven t- enough, you mean? Yeah, not enough professional fights. I mean, to me, you should be in the, if, you, if you're really red hot, it's, you should be in the. Um, you were right the first the low, time. The, the juggernaut is 14 and 0 with 13 knockouts. And you're okay, saying still at that, at that number, definitely not enough in your mind. Still yeah, got to prove not, it. Some. Not, not, not enough. Look, we know he's fighting Joseph Parker coming up, and he's probably yeah. going to have to fight another fight yeah. before yeah. he gets a shot. So he would at least have a 15th or a 16th. And, not and, taking, on, and taking on Joseph Parker, listen, if he was, he's, he's stepping up. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's stepping up and Joseph Parker is coming in to, to end the uh, juggernauts run. So that's a, that's a 50, 50. And that's a, that's a dream fight. And you don't inter- get fights and like interesting that. that both of those fighters uh, are kind of tied to Frank Warren because Parker used to be with Frank Warren and Queensbury promotions. Mm-hmm. But interesting that w- one of them, the winner could be in the picture for Tyson Fury depending on if an undisputed fight gets made, or even if Fury wins the undisputed fight, the winner right. of this fight might be in a position to be an opponent of Tyson Fury's down the road could be. And Parker actually trains with Tyson Fury as well. They're training right now together. We've seen yeah. that on social media, uh, et cetera. A few more minutes on topheavyweights.com. I did not mean to neglect going backwards to last weekend in Saudi Arabia, Philip Hergovich's decision win narrowly over the Chinese big mammoth heavyweight, Xiaoli uh, Zhang, all right, your thoughts, please, in the recap mode. And what does it mean for Hergovich that he got the win to remain undefeated and his spot kind of in the rankings and the picture? Go ahead. Yeah, he got a, um, I think it has to be called a, a close slash disputed decision. Um, Zhang showed way more than anyone expected, more than I expected. Um, he was durable. He punched sharp. He hurt Hergovic many times and Hergovic buzzed him but didn't hurt him. Hergovic did put together more rounds, according to the judges. Um, I thought two of the scorecards were outrageous. But anyways, he got the decision. He is the IBF mandatory. Again, much like Joe Joyce, I think professionally, he's definitely underdone. And and he's not ready. He's now the IBF mandatory. But again, if I was his people, I would have him fighting every month and a half or every two months between now and mandatory time. Keep him active and to up the competition Maybe not as high as Zhang, but in that zone somewhere, he's got to put together some some good solid wins, not for the purpose of building his name, which obviously happens with it, but for the purpose of developing him as a contender who's going to not just challenge over the title, but perhaps win it. Ergovich, 15 pro fights, to your point. Right. He had right. the death. Obviously, we can't underemphasize yeah. and minimize this. He had the death of his father earlier this year. Yeah. Which I thought just what, and I got to see a lot of that fight before my broadcast duties with the Buccaneers and the radio. I got to see a lot of it. He got hit a bunch, Sean, in oh, that fight. It. And so I'm wondering is it a mixture of you've been out of the ring for eight or nine months? You've had the death of your father. You're in against a big, motivated opponent who's got a good southpaw stance, jab working. Yeah, but it, it was al- is alarming the right word? It was alarming how much Hergovich got hit. To me, mm-hmm. your thought on that for him moving forward? Again, it really depends on on Zhang to some extent. You know, I mean, uh, he brought something special, and I, I just and, and it has to be said. 
I just think Hergovic right now has to prove more. But again, that was his first real challenge. This is the first profession. That was the first professional fight in his career where the opponent was coming to win as well. Meaning that the guy was on an ascension. The guy was planning to defend, uh, to challenge for the title in China. Um, But in the last two years, he couldn't go back to China because of all the restrictions. And um, both his parents died. Um, You know, that wasn't discussed, you know, Um, and and I think uh, he's, from what I understand from his camp, and I'm sorry to keep going back to Zhang, but I do feel it's important based on the re- on the, the fight itself that there were two top chin, top punching heavyweights who showed what they were made of. They went to war for 12 rounds. They gave, I mean, you were on the edge of your seat watching that. That was a great fight. I mean, the entertainment. So now uh, Zhang's in that sort of, he, he's put it behind him. He's upset, but he's getting back in the ring fast. And he wants back fast. And he's because what, he, thir- we believe 39, but may actually oh, be older than that. 39, 39. I, 40, again, I won't. I, I, I don't know. I'm not. Ever since George Foreman did what he did. Um, and by the way, the George Foreman, who was the big older George Foreman, in many ways was more dangerous than the younger George Foreman. Interesting. And that point. has to be said. Um, and it's a great so, argument that he. He clearly pulled off tactically a great fight with Michael Moore. Now, he was losing a lot of that fight, but he was also setting him up uh, for the big right hand as this thing went along. So he used he used the wide lefts to move more to the right. Right. And uh, he kept using those wide and and the commentators were going, look at those amateurish. George is so off balance throwing those lefts. Right. They kept saying that. And uh, that's why all of this is so cool, because. Nothing I say, nothing the media pundits say, nothing that anyone says is going to change the dynamic or the trajectory of any of those individuals if they make the decision to do it in a way that they can't. It's just, and age is part of it, of course, but Zhang, I thought he brought to the table something that really left an impression on a lot of people. His stock has gone up, his rankings have gone up, and Hergovic is going to have, this is the beauty of it. He's going to have to make his adjustments. It was a great fight. I think it was a win for the division. Interesting so, that Hergovic uh, fought within three months late last year, September, then December. Again, he right. was slated to fight Zhang back in March. That would have been a right. third fight in about eight or nine months staying active. Mm-hmm. His father passed away, though, about two weeks or three weeks before uh, they were actually supposed to fight in May on the undercard of the Canelo Alvarez Dimitri Bivol fight in Las Vegas. They were going to be the co-feature, but his father right. passed away in April, so he it threw off yeah. everything in his world, his training, all of it. You just wonder if Hergovic might be back. Is my point? Let's say like November, December. Get back. This is a theme of the show. Get back yeah. in the yeah. get back get in the back. ring three or get four back. months from now and get busy. We see yeah. Joyce doing that. It wouldn't be bad for Hergovic to do that or real big baby Jared Anderson, who's coming Saturday night to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you have to take an opponent that is not a challenge, then so be it. But stay active, stay active, stay active. Um, it keeps them in the gym. It keeps them mentally focused. And frankly, these are the peak years of their career. And that's where, you know, Tyson Fury, only he knows Tyson Fury. But in all this talk of I'm retired, I'm not retired. It's just you're at the peak of a career that you've worked to develop. And now the ingredients are all around you, but it has to be said, if any heavyweight feels they don't want to take the risk because it's high risk, that's why we, you know, everyone's into it. But if they're into it, let's go. 
I mean, we've got a trim. If you look back at the history of the division, um, there's a lot to be said, but I just think more fights is what we're saying. Otto Valin, he's out there. You know, he should make it. He should make a deal with Martin Bacoli. You know, they should get it together, get it going, you know, uh, put the fight where it's, who knows, put the fight in Sweden, put the fight somewhere else. I mean, there's, and because they are talking, and by the way, it has to be thrown in here. Um, Dillian White is the manager of Alan Babic. And he has put forward that Babic and Hergovic should fight in Croatia. Interesting. And, um, yeah. And you uh, mentioned I, Daniel Dubois earlier in the podcast, back on the combat, yeah. back on the comeback trail, has the WBA secondary belts. Yep. I mean, there's some guys in the mix that should be fighting each other. Yes. Two more, two more before we're done here, Sean. Yep. To that end, Andy Ruiz is back in the yep. ring, coming before we will be back with another top heavyweights podcast. Ruiz fighting King Kong, Vic, Victor Ortiz. Uh, Luis Ortiz, excuse me. Luis Ortiz uh, is King Kong. And so that will be Sunday night of Labor Day weekend in the United States in Los Angeles on pay-per-view. Give me a quick thought on what you think happens there because it's an unknown with Ortiz and the age. Here we go again versus Ruiz, who's had a knee injury, who hasn't been that active, even though he had the magical night against uh, Joshua, which now seems like a lifetime ago that that was June of 2019. What do you make of that? That's the, the Fox PBC yeah. pay-per-view Sunday night, September 4th. To me, it is like a, I mean, if you're using the NFL analogy, this is like two top teams facing each other. It's a big day at the crypto.com arena in Los Angeles. Uh, Luis Ortiz and Andy Ruiz are both in the top eight. They're both in that zone there. And they're, and, and Luis Ortiz just knocked out Charles Martin this year. He's back again. Um, if he knocks out Andy Ruiz, people can say what they want. He's just knocked out these two guys in his last two fights. Who's done better? That's what he could say. In terms Ooh. of contenders, right? Yeah. Who's doing better? So, and that's, that is his point coming in. King Kong is there to do it. Andy Ruiz is definitely there to do it. It's really there is his belief, yeah. especially yeah. if Ruiz wins, that this is setting up for Ruiz against Deontay Wilder, they would hope for PBC, mm-hmm. but maybe it's Robert Hellenius. Uh, that Very the much, winners yeah. of these two fights are fighting January, February of next year. Oh, I mean, on both, that? any, all of those combinations sound exciting. I mean, if you think about it, like if King Kong came on and won and Robert Hellenius won and they're both, mm-hmm. they both tore through, you know, those two getting together is not going to be boring or Ruiz wins. And this and is Deontay Wilder. PBC is yeah. not going to make an announcement and send out a press release or hear right. ye, hear ye. <laughs> but if they get Ruiz and Deontay Wilder to both win and pit them together. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, that is huge. I mean, that, that fight, it's the Mexican, it's the American, it's the Mexican American. It's, it's, that's a, and that fight would be huge around the world. Both of those heavyweights have got a built up name in the world psyche. You can say to people, Deontay Wilder, I could say to my casual boxing friends, Deontay Wilder against Andrew Ruiz Jr. They're like, whoa. Well, and and another thing, and Dan Raphael has been uh, pushing this out there, uh, it is still looming for Tyson Fury. Is he going to vacate the WBC title? I don't believe he's going to do that. But let's say Fury takes a while. He's got till till Friday. As we release the podcast, correct. But I believe he's going to say, hey, I'm hanging on to the belt. But let's, let's play it out that he goes through the whole song, dance, delay, promotion, all of it, and fights Usyk at some Mm. point next year and wins the WBC is going to have to come back around at some point and say, are you defending it against one of our contenders or not? And if not, 
they may vacate the belt. I'm not saying they will. They may vacate the belt. And if they do, the winners of Ruiz Ortiz, Wilder Hellenius would be in position to maybe fight a fight. Because in particular, as Dan's theory was, Wilder is the top contender in the WBC. I think Ruiz is like three, something like that. That's right. Okay. So the winners are in kind of a position, if it's both of them, to say, Vacant WBC title fight involves me. Just food for thought. We got a ways to go before we get there. Some things have to happen. But the winners could be involved in a vacant title fight for the WBC belt 2023. Well, I hope not. I hope they are fighting to become the WBC mandatory. There's a final eliminator. And my hope is, and I do believe that the WBC has changed their tact in recent years since the Deontay Wilder Joshua potential undisputed was hanging out there Mm -hmm. i really saw a change in the wbc in the sense that if there's a chance for a full unification and an undisputed champion they want to be part of that sure and i think that they will bend their own rules and they've shown plenty of ability to do that and it's important to point this out that fury fought uh dillian white who was the mandatory in that's right So that clears that up to your point that there should not be an issue for the rest of this year or for him to have an undisputed challenge. But if it becomes obvious, for example, that Fury and and Usyk engage and have an automatic rematch clause, all right, as we play it out just real quick before we wrap up, they have an automatic rematch clause. So they're fighting, let's say, hypothetically in February, but they have an automatic rematch clause that says we're going to be back in October or November of 2023. I can totally understand at that point, the WBC saying, because you're doing the undisputed thing here, I know you're doing the undisputed thing, but we we want a championship title fight involving one of our guys a year and a half from right now when we're talking way into the future. Right. Who would those guys be? We're left to speculate. They need to read your site, topheavyweights.com, the, the rankings and, and the scenarios and how this all mixes in. It's, it's like a looking so, it, at next year. It's like a it's like a heavyweight sports soap opera or something. You don't know what's going to happen, so it's all good. Like I, I think I can't write the future, but I think I stand with most heavyweight boxing fans when I say what we want is an undisputed champion, and then what we want is for the undisputed championship to be defended against top contenders. And yeah. if they win it, they win the undisputed championship, and we put all this ridiculous because if we have an undisputed champion, make no mistake about it, the entire sport of boxing gets more popular. Everybody in the business makes more money. Everything, the whole media scene around the world can focus on the heavyweight champion. It works better. And it's the sum is more than the parts separate. Listen, we've had a lot of fun on this edition of topheavyweights.com, the podcast. Anything else in closing, Sean, before we're good? Again, we do have mm-hmm. uh, Jared, real big baby Anderson, in action on the top ranked show Saturday night in Tulsa. Uh, Effie Ajagba on that card. Also, American silver medalist in the heavyweight division from the Tokyo Olympics last year, Richard Torres. Yeah, yeah he's, he's back excited. on this yeah. card in a smaller uh, fight, a, a fight that he should win easily as he's only had a couple of pro fights. So we have them in action this week. Again, Ruiz Ortiz. Did I sneak a prediction out of you? Ruiz Ortiz, who wins before we're gone? Um, I'm it's a it's a it's a to me it's a 50-50 because each guy has a tendency to shift depending on the the wind. Who knows what's going on? I just think it's going to be a great fight. And I think that um Andy Ruiz is taking a big risk. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a shot here, and this is not an official prediction, it's more of just a because I really don't know. 
to be honest, it's, it's that competitive. And that has to be said to respect, out of respect for both guys. But I think Luis Ortiz is going to um, fire a few cannons that uh, leaves Andy Ruiz with a lot of questions. The only thing that, that I come back to with Ruiz, fast hands. And I oh, know he doesn't, fast, have, yeah. doesn't yeah. have the size and the reach necessarily that King Kong has. Super. But fast hands, if he gets close yeah. to him, that's an intriguing fight. It it's a, not everything, it's a, but it's intriguing. For Labor Day Sunday night, that's going to be a Sunday night, September 4th fight that we're looking forward to on that for sure. Yeah, we may uh, we may talk before then and uh but it's a it's a it's a big one and uh I think if you want entertainment and that's really what we're talking about for the viewers and we thank thank these heavyweights for their for the, for taking the risks and doing what they do but Ruiz Ortiz is going to be high level entertainment and I have called the entertaining ones thus far I believe as far well, as what is you know Let's see if it is. And again, we've covered a bunch here from Usyk's yeah. win over Joshua, the repeat in the rematch. Again, we've got the ESPN top uh, rank heavyweight uh, battles that will be going on, including Jared, real big baby Anderson. Is he going to deliver a spectacular knockout and increase his star potential and his value coming up? We're going to find out all those things. One more time, find Sean's site, topheavyweights.com. Everything in the heavyweight division from news to rankings, the schedule, uh, this podcast, part of it, all of the above, topheavyweights.com. We got a roll here. Jeff Fun. Jeff Fun on another edition of the podcast. You good? Hey, we always have fun. TJ, it is a pleasure. And um, all I can say is we've covered what's going on. Oh, by the way, one other thing, October 29th, Michael Hunter, Huey Fury. Uh, it'll be a WBA eliminator. Just threw that in. Another one to be added on to the list. Read more topheavyweights.com. Thank you for finding us on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. Again, we are here uh, somewhat regularly. We mm -hmm. come back around with all of this. It was big enough to come back off the Usyk win over Joshua. We thank you for finding us. Easiest way to get this, again, is to follow or subscribe to the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. You get all of the coverage with Dan Rayfield and me and special guests that we have on, etc. The easiest way to get the topheavyweights.com podcast is to be subscribing to this feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe. You'll get the new ones when they are out. For Sean... I am TJ. Enjoy all the heavyweight action. Read more at topheavyweights.com. And we thank you for being with us on the topheavyweights.com podcast.